Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Modes. I'm your host, Rachel Premack. And today we're going to be talking about UPS. So UPS has almost a half, more than a half million staffers. 350,000 of those are in Teamsters. You know, they're drivers, package handlers. They load the vehicles. And for the first time since 1997, UPS could see a massive strike among these uh, unionized Teamsters employees. So this potential strike, there's a lot of implications for, of course, how we get our e-commerce packages, but there's also a bigger picture here on how labor is treated in and out of the supply chain. Most uh, freight transportation companies at this point are not unionized, so it's interesting to kind of dig into what this means and how how these companies do uh, that are still unionized, how they interact with their employees. And of course, there's also a major connection with uh, Amazon and how we are increasingly automating some of these package sortation processes. So to walk us through all of this, we have my former colleague, Emma Cosgrove. She's a senior transportation reporter at Insider, and she specializes in logistics and e-commerce covers. So Emma, welcome to the show. With you in any capacity, even if we have to talk freight in front of people. Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, so from reading your great reporting, my colleague Mark Solomon's reporting and other, you know, fantastic pieces covering UPS, it seems like the big sticking point here is that two-tiered system with workers. So traditionally we think of UPS drivers as, you know, getting these great benefits, you know, pensions, they can make six figures or more, you know, pretty decent salaries for a job that doesn't require a college degree necessarily. But it seems like there's this new category of workers that are still full time, um, but they don't get these, you know, really amazing uh, pensions and salaries and all those sorts of things. Um, so how did that two tiered system get created? Is there any possibility for Teamsters to be able to roll some of this back? So walk me through a little bit about what's what's going on with this. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll circle back just to the first thing you said really quickly, which is um, I think an important thing to remember about the Teamsters negotiation is that the central issue, like the most important issue in almost any union negotiation is wages. Wages is a massive amount of any company's expenditure, and it's the toughest element at the table. It's often left to last in in um, we're negotiating our, our union contract right now as journalists, and it, it is the toughest thing to handle. So Though we are going to talk about 22 fours, which is the job you're referring to, in the end, it's about wages um, in the in the grand scale. And that's important to remember because one of the options on the table, I would think, I'm not in the room, obviously, would be to throw out everything I'm about to describe and start from scratch. Um, and here's what 22 fours are. 22 four is the name of the position you just described uh, it is a second tier um, driver with a lower uh, min and max hourly wage. I can't remember right now um, what it is, but it's a good three, four dollars um, lower than Teamsters can top out at. And um, it was invented to cover Saturdays, essentially. So UPS wanted to deliver on Saturdays to keep up with FedEx and Amazon, um, and they needed to figure out how to do that. Um, so they created this position that works Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And it's a hybrid position, meaning that sometimes these employees are working inside loading trucks and sometimes they are working in truck, driving trucks and delivering packages. 
during the pandemic, there was so much volume that they were driving most of the time. Um, and that uh, really led to this these sort of optics that 224s were were drivers doing equal work for less pay, um, which is obviously something that the union is not in favor of. Um, and it, it also, there was a cap on how many 224s the UPS could have because they were paid less. And so um, regular package drivers were often recruited, cajoled, coerced, some of them would say, into working on Saturdays. Um and even working six-day weeks, which some of them were happy to do and some of them didn't want to do. And there, I've spoken to a lot of drivers about this issue and there are varying levels of willingness, not willingness. You know, if you don't have kids and you want the extra day, great. If you have a family and your manager is really um, leaning on you hard to come in on Saturday, that might be a bigger problem for you. So um, like any group of thousands of people, uh, there, there's a lot of agreement in there. But Carol Tomei, the CEO of UPS, has even said that we don't want to be forcing people to work who don't want to work. Um, and also the volume is gone um, in terms of, you know, that that pandemic rush, that massive amount of e-commerce volume that we saw is is gone now. And so um, the the negotiations are, are based on this recent history that was sort of an anomaly. Um, and what they need now, you know, is anybody's guess, honestly, for the rest of the year. So they need to figure out how to cover Saturdays. And they need to figure out how um, they, meaning UPS, needs to figure out how to get Saturdays covered. The Teamsters need to make sure that all of their members are paid fairly and equally. Um, and uh, the way that the last contract that created this 22-4 position was passed was fairly controversial. And so there's just a lot of bad blood on this particular issue. Um, and I don't know how they're going to fix it, but... At the end of the day, they just need to deliver packages on Saturdays. And I I would imagine there are a lot of ways to do that. Is there a way to have these packages delivered on Saturday but get rid of the 22-4 clause? Or is that just something that the, you know, the upper tier, as it were, UPS drivers are just not going to be interested in, in doing? I mean... I don't know any, I've not talked to any UPS driver who wants to the 22-4 position to stay, mm -hmm. um, who thinks that it's uh, a good thing. <laughs> but um, obviously, yeah, yeah. I've only talked to a handful. I think that they're, I'm, again, I'm not in the room. I don't know what their aims are, but there's no reason this has to be the solution. Um, we're starting from mm -hmm. scratch on this contract. And and they need to figure this out. Making 22-4s, getting rid of the position entirely seems to be what the union is asking for. And if UPS can come up with a, a solution that works for them, then then I would imagine that's what they'd try to do. But it's a total guess. I don't have any intel there. Is So what is the current balance between non-22-4s and the 22-4s in the UPS world? If there's like a, if we have access to those numbers... And as a follow-up question, if I were <laughs> if I were going to join UPS right now, would I be a twenty-two-four? Is there a way I can get to that um, six-figure salary and pensions, even if I'm joining in twenty twenty-three or twenty-four? Let's say twenty-three. Yes, okay. Keep it. <laughs> um, so I don't know the answer to your first question. I don't know what the split is. It is twenty-two-fours are a minority within the union, and they are capped. Um, but if you want to become a regular package driver um, and you are a 22-4, then 
you it's like getting a bid, taking a bid, positions become available and you can apply essentially. Um, and that gets you upgraded. And I I know drivers who have done that, who came in as a 22-4 in 2020 or 2021, and then they um, bid up to a, a full-time regular package driver position, which is you know, where everybody wants to be. That's the that's that path to retirement that is so rare in the delivery space. So yeah, that is possible. I'm not sure how much hiring UPS is doing right now, but they're laying off 22-4s um, because... The other thing is that 22-4s tend to be lower in the seniority. So when um, when UPS needs to or wants to um, decides to, I'll try to use something neutral. When UPS decides <laughs> to um, reduce their delivery force, they have to start with the first in, um, first in, first out. So uh, and then those 22-4s have to be offered. Cer- they have to be offered certain options in other positions within the same centers or other nearby centers. So. Um, there's still some protection there, but there has been some force reduction. And I've talked to 224s who have been downgraded to package handlers or they've been given like two part-time package handling positions. So they're working strange shifts. There's a lot going on right now since the volume is is going down and they just don't need as many people. So the volume, it seems like the declining volumes definitely it's it's it almost seems like kind of a bad time for this for this negotiation because of the you know, massive volume decline, I imagine, from 2020, 21 to 23. And then you also have reported a bit about how UPS is looking to consolidate some of this package handling into the larger automated facilities. What, like, what does this mean for a typical UPS driver if they're going to start, if, if UPS is going to begin to shift package handling to these larger automated facilities? Okay. Um, so you got two issues there. So um, the sort of moment that these two parties are bargaining is really interesting because um, UPS has had an incredible couple of years, but that is starting to fade. Um, on the Teamster side, they're not hearing any of the fading, especially because Carol Tomei has been particularly skilled at navigating the fluctuations of the last couple years, um, the boom, and I would say, the, and the come down as well. She's maintained margins um, certainly better than her largest competitor, FedEx, but that wasn't hard to do <laughs> um, with the current state of FedEx. So um, she's been incredibly skilled at at um, keeping the res- keeping investors happy and and keeping the results pretty solid despite the volatility. Um, that I think that will be a card that the Teamsters would play. They, the president, um, General President Sean O'Brien tweets about it all the time. Um, that you know the declining volume is no excuse because UPS is still so financially successful. Um, and so, uh, you know, does it put UPS in a more advantageous position? The volume is declining, maybe, but I don't think the Teamsters are buying it anyway. And any union contract, you know, we're talking about years. So we're we're talking about when we get out of this cycle uh, anyway, um, and I would imagine that that is a bigger factor than um, than this current moment. What was your second question? <laughs> talking about like the automated facilities and what that means for drivers. I because part of the part of what's interesting about this whole thing is that I'm forgetting his the name of the previous UPS CEO. He started as a package handler in college. He moved his way up worked his way up to CEO. It kind of seems like this is like UPS's thing is that they have folks start at the at the entry level tiers of the company and work their way up. And with 
the 22 fours and some of the other things we're talking about, it's like that initial entry level area is is getting blocked off. But anyways, about the, about the yeah. RMA facilities. Um, Carol Tomei is the first outsider um, to be CEO of UPS. And she's brought in um, outsiders. Uh, my reporting, I've I've um, talked to UPSers who say that this sort of culture of um, promotion through the ranks and this idea that you can retire a millionaire at UPS, which was a longstanding um, thing, you'd work to the bone, but you could retire a millionaire, um, is is kind of gone. And and there's been a there's been a change in the dialogue around that concept as well because FedEx has been struggling, and FedEx still has that culture to a large extent of um everyone rising up from from inside and and the concept of lifers and people who've been there for 35 years um and and wall street analysts are starting to ask questions about is that a good thing so um it, it's been an it's been an interesting dynamic that carol sort of sorry tomei <laughs> it's weird to call her by her first name um that carol tomei uh, has has started to change that at eps and and the results have been more positive and on the fedex side i think a lot of um stakeholders would like to see some change in the leadership uh, and they haven't really gone in that direction yet um and then in terms of automation you know on, it's funny automation is going to be a part of every single union negotiation for the foreseeable in any industry um and uh i would i would imagine that the union is asking for for you know data on on how this affects jobs. Um, I haven't seen that data, but the jobs that we're talking about are the inside jobs. Um, so the the truck loading, package handling jobs. And um, there has been some data that Carol Tomei has shared about some of the new technology that they're putting in. Uh, they're using, they're doing pilots and expanding an RFID program, which is really cut down on missorts. Um, missorts meaning like the a package on the wrong truck. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the percentage of missorts is pretty low, but when you, when you expand it across millions of packages, it becomes a lot. So, um, there are benefits and, and there are losses, obviously the union's job is going to be to protect those jobs and they're going to do the best they can at that. Um, the company's job is to improve performance and, and, uh, cut expenses. So they're going to work on that. And, and that's just going to be the classic negotiation point. I, you know, we're <laughs> bringing it back to our union, but journalists are looking at that problem too. Um, and and it's also a big factory in the ILWU on the West Coast. So um, that is a looming factor. I think the Teamsters have a lot to deal with and a lot to unwind as well from the last contract. And and honestly, I'm not sure how high automation is on that list for this particular contract, um, but we'll see uh, as it progresses. So the other kind of tension here, the thing I've been curious about, I mean, on the full over-the-road truckload side, there's basically no unionized carriers. On the LTL side, you've got a few unionized carriers. And then on this, you know, parcel side, UPS is, to my knowledge, the only big unionized carriers. And you've got FedEx and Amazon and a few other smaller players. I'm really curious how... How, how can UPS even maintain having this unionized workforce given, you know, the fact that most of its competitors are able to get away with not having a unionized workforce? That's a really interesting question. I mean, they've been doing it for a long time, so that helps. And I think, honestly, it's it's such a great case study to have because 
um, it is very possible. And and especially lately, it's been really successful, which is, you know, sort of counterintuitive. If you looked at the labor structure of Amazon or FedEx and their uh, financial performance over the last year, 18 months, and compared it to UPS, you'd be surprised <laughs> if you hadn't really been <laughs> paying attention. Um so oh, yeah, it, I mean it's 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 baked in and and it's it's managed to to a pretty remarkable extent. I agree. Um, it's also that uh, uh, if you want to just compare FedEx and UPS for a moment, I think what what FedEx is sort of finally admitted with this massive reorganization that they're doing is that the mm-hmm. amount of um, separation and and sort of fracture within their own network because they had these separate operating companies. Um, has added expense and taken away efficiency that that the very integrated UPS has, um, and and one could argue that that integration has made these higher wages uh, possible. Um, but also, you know, rates are going up. Um, <laughs> these are not, uh, you know, these are very expensive services at this point. Uh, expensive is a relative term, but they're the high end of the market uh, more more so now than ever. Um, and that's not going to change. And so when alternatives come onto the market, they're coming in somewhere between UPS and FedEx and the postal service mm. in terms of pricing. No one is looking for like a more premium service. Uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe on the very high end of things, I have heard of some like ultra luxury sort of services for luxury goods or for like human organs and that kind of thing. But just for like e-commerce, <laughs> no one for a more expensive, more luxurious delivery solution, what they're looking for is cheaper. Interesting. It's interesting thinking of UPS as like the creme de la creme, besides the organ delivery services. It's interesting to think of UPS as like the very high end of the market. So that's what they say. That is what they say every time that you are the best and you should have to pay for it. Um, So that's definitely their line. You know, user experience varies. I mean, as someone who has had their e-commerce packages just like left outside, n- not even like in the lobby, but like just outside of my apartment in New York. It's like, like on the street. I mean, look, I'll, I, I guess I wouldn't mind paying a little bit extra for my package not to get stolen. So I get, I, I, I get that the experience can go all the way to the top and all the way to the bottom, even though, you know, from the outside you think, oh, they're just throwing, they're just, you know, they're just delivering packages. Like, why Why does it have to be high-end or low-end? But I, it seems like there's all these variable, variables that can get involved. There definitely are. And I will say to you, I, I am quite the e-commerce therapist at Insider. I answer a lot of individual questions. <laughs> and um, uh, urban delivery is a totally different animal than non-urban delivery. <laughs> um, yeah. And the quirks of urban delivery have been, you know, the... The, have meant the birth of many startups trying to fix that problem that you're talking about now. Yeah. Um, so it, it is a little bit of an anomaly in terms of the grand scheme of things, which is something I always have to remind myself because I barely buy anything in a store anymore. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to get back to it, which is a weird goal to have to buy things in a store, but that's the, I wouldn't say it's a resolution of mine, but it's like kind of a resolution of mine to like buy more stuff actually in the store. But Anyway, so so it's a it's a really interesting time for this negotiation process to be happening. We saw from Gallup polls uh, last year, if we can get that 
graph up on the screen that American approval of labor unions is actually at an all-time high in since the looks like the mid 1960s. Um, you know, through much of the mid to early to mid 20th century, Americans had a pretty high a majority of Americans, a vast majority of Americans, in fact, approved of labor unions. And then it kind of started to sink a little bit lower and lower. We see in 2009, 2010, it goes all the way down to 48 percent of Americans approving of unions and then really, really quickly ramps back up to 71 percent in 2023. And then on the other side of things, if we can get that next chart up on the screen, we see the percent of employed Americans actually in a labor union has greatly declined since the 1980s. Uh, In 1983, about 20% of Americans, of employed Americans were in a labor union. In 2022, it's around 10%. So it's a pretty, it's a it's a notable drop off so that we, at the same time, we're seeing this increase in Americans approving of unions. There's actually not fewer and fewer Americans actually in unions. So you've reported a bit about how Teamster General President Sean O'Brien is trying to use this UPS um, situation to communicate to other drivers, especially, you know, those who work at Amazon. Like, look, you can be in, uh, you can be in Teamsters, you can be in another union and you can have these sorts of benefits. Can you talk a little bit more about how this works and what is what's the how is this communication strategy and how the strategy is generally working yeah sure um i should point out as well that um ups isn't the only unionized logistics logistics business it is the only one unionized to scale so there are sort of one-off facilities around the u.s that are unionized um and and i don't keep track of them very closely but you see them sort of um uh, actually, sometimes they make news because they decertify. Um, so they like exit a union. There, oh. I know there was definitely a couple of XPO facilities before the yeah offs um, that were unionized. I, I don't think they are anymore. But um, I think DHL has a few too. So there are there are little little pockets, but nothing to this to this extent or this scale. Um, and yeah, I mean, one of the things I think UPS is coming up against in this negotiation is that Sean O'Brien has said that he wants this to be a lesson for Amazon, um, for Amazon warehouse employees. Uh, so that likely wouldn't be the delivery workforce, which is uh, d- the DSP contractor model, which is a lot more difficult, but the warehouses are full of employees. And so that makes organizing a little easier. As we've seen, um, Insider has actually had some pretty amazing reporting from um, Catherine Long and Jack Newsham in recent days about controversies within the Amazon labor union. So if um, if anyone's interested in that, they should definitely check out the reporting. But um, the, I mean, the UPS is the largest Teamsters workforce and the Teamsters have a lot to prove because of this contract from 2018. Um, the 2018 contract was sort of mired in controversy. There was a bylaw um, that no longer exists that has been taken out now. But there was a bylaw that said that if if they didn't reach a, a certain threshold for voter participation on ratifying the contract, that the contract would go through anyway. And that's how it passed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. were created. So um, that uh, controversy, I think, created a sort of like, what is this union doing for me anyway? Um, 
<laughs> sort of appearance in some people. Um, it's a massive union. You have a massive spectrum of, of support and dissent. Um, but uh, Sean O'Brien sees, you know, he's really changed the conversation. He's obviously like a completely new leader. Um, and he is attempting to remake the image of the entire union, which, uh, you know, means that that UPS is going up against uh, higher stakes than just their their workers, just their wages, um, which is a tough thing mm-hmm. to fight against because there is a lot of skin on in this game on both sides, but um, O'Brien has has a plan, and he wants to show you know workers across the country what what the Teamsters can get. Um, and also, you know, UPS always says that UPS drivers are the best paid in the industry, and they are by far. That's undisputable. Um, but I think a lot of drivers don't know that. A lot of like delivery workers or gig mm-hmm. workers are just you know, people who a lot of people have gotten adjacent to the e-commerce industry uh, in the last three years who who maybe never touched it before. Um, and I see conversations on Reddit. I'm a big lurker on Reddit. And I see conversations all the time where UPS drivers are saying to FedEx drivers or to Amazon drivers, like, you guys don't understand, like, you know, this is better. Let me explain to you why. Um, so mm-hmm. there's still, this is not, you know, you and I are talking about this, um, very freely, but this is not something that is incredibly well known. Um, and so that's mm-hmm. another thing that Brian wants to do is, is explain why UPS is such a good place to work. And he, in his opinion, that's because in teams. Hmm. Okay. Really interesting. I feel like we could go on for several hours or so, but I think unfortunately we have to wrap it up. Emma, thank you so much for coming on the show and, We will stay tuned with your reporting on this. Thanks, Rachel. It's great to be here. Thank you all for watching and have a have a good rest of your day.